Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and this is our Friday Roundtable. It's Mary Kay, Doug, Ellis, Tim Bielik, and me. And this was recorded live with our Football Insider subscribers on Thursday. You're actually going to get this in two parts, so Monday will be part two of this. So today is part one. We go draft heavy where we talk number 26, we talk trade options, all of that stuff. Now, if you want to get involved in Football Insider, I tell you about it every time, but this is how you get involved with stuff like this. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that to get information and get signed up. You'll get an exclusive newsletter every single day. You get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com. And you get to be one of our text subscribers, which is how you get involved in things like our live roundtables, picking games, all of that fun stuff. Okay, here is part one of our roundtable with our Football Insider subscribers. Again, part two coming up on Monday. Let's get right to it because this is a draft preview. So the Browns are picking at number 26. You know, we, we did something the other night where, uh, you know, I kind of asked if you could give me like an elevator pitch or if you could, if you wanted to stand on the table and, and just pound the table for somebody at number 26, who might that be? Or if it's a position, maybe you don't have a specific name, who might that be? So I'll throw that out to our panel first. But if you got somebody you want to pound the table for at 26 that you don't hear, raise your hand and do it. Like I said, we want to hear from you guys, not just see your faces or whatever. We actually want to hear from you guys. Who wants to go first? Doug, who do you like at 26? So I don't know if everybody's coming around to the same thing on this, but I would pound the table, I think, for the position of cornerback and the idea that in the end, it's the only position left on this team that I have any kind of question mark about because of Greedy Williams, the fact that he missed all of last season, Who's the next outside corner? If it's not Greedy Williams, if it's Troy Hill, then who's your slot corner? Everything else feels like they have answers. They have answers at edge rusher now, multiple. They have edge, multiple answers, maybe not all A-plus answers, but answers at linebacker. They've, they've provided answers at safety, and we know they have answers on offense. I'm trying to win the Super Bowl right now, and I think it's possible that the only position – that will help them win the Super Bowl this season is cornerback. Now it gets dicey. Who's going to be there? It feels to me like there's five top guys. You know, Patrick Sertain's going to be gone. And then I don't know what order the next four guys are going to come off the board. It feels like to me, one or two of them will be there when the Browns pick. And I guess that's JC Horn, 
Greg Newsome, Caleb Farley, and Asante Samuel. My guess is two of those, maybe only one will be there, but I can't get away from corner. And Dan, I know you did that in your how to win the draft today. I, I liked where you went there. That's where my head, that's where I've evolved in trying to look at this draft and the things they've done this offseason. I mean, and my reasoning is very similar to yours, Doug. When I look at the roster and I look at where the holes are, it's really hard to find them, but that's really one because you're really kind of counting heavily on Greedy Williams there, and we just don't know about Greedy Williams. Now, maybe they do. Maybe they're in that building, and they're like, hey, Greedy's fine, and he's going to be awesome. But uh, we just don't know if you can count on Greedy Williams to be that number two corner. So that's why I went with I, – I picked Greg Newsome in that spot. Who else has somebody? A position, a name, Tim or Ellis, Mary Kay, if you want to make a case for somebody. I do want to bring something up here while we're talking about cornerback. I thought it was almost a tip-off that Coach Stefanski the other day praised Greedy Williams. Did anybody else notice that? Like He singled out Greedy Williams for praise and said he continues to get good news. And I, I had to wonder if it wasn't just the tiniest little bit of pre-draft smoke to get people off the scent and and not have people be thinking cornerback in the first round but Doug is exactly right and Dan and your you know your mock draft uh, reflected this as well and we've all been talking about this cornerback is the only position that we can really think of where you know you'd, you'd feel a whole lot better if you had another outside starting corner on this roster right now Now, which one of those guys, I'm not really exactly sure which one I think would be the best fit at this point. We talked about one yesterday. Tim brought uh, Caleb Farley up when we were talking to Daniel Jeremiah, and he's very, very intriguing. He is a really, really intriguing prospect. In fact, Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network really talks about him as the most talented cornerback in this draft. Uh, He's got good size good length. He's six foot two. He's got a nose for the ball. There's a lot to like about him. I think he's a plug and play starter. Now he's coming off of a back injury, not just an injury, a back surgery coming off of a back surgery. And that's always just a little bit dicey, especially when you're dealing with Grant Delpit, the safety, obviously coming off of a ruptured Achilles and you're dealing with greedy Williams coming off of nerve damage in his shoulder. You might not want to take an injury risk with your first round pick. However, it's so tempting, right? I mean, Tim, do you agree? Isn't Caleb Farley just a tempting prospect there at number 26? Yeah, who wouldn't want a 6'2 corner with the ball skills and the movement ability that Caleb Farley has? Now, if we're talking pound the table for guys who will be there at 26, I don't think he's making it to 26. I think there will be a team if the Browns don't trade up to, to 17 through 19 or whatever, that takes the gamble on me. I mean, the Colts could go for a cornerback. The Titans certainly can go for a cornerback. The Bears maybe because Kyle LaFleur left in free agency. So if if they want to move up and get him, that would be my number one way to go for the Browns because I don't know, honestly, if any of the top four fall to them. And with Asante Samuel Jr., I think he's clearly the fifth guy. He seems like a Denzel Ward clone. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. He's 5'10", 5'11", but he's very fluid. He's got very good ball skills. I love NFL bloodlines, of course. His dad had a pretty good career, I think we can all agree. 
But if we're talking guys who we think could be there at 26, I mean, there's so many ways you could go. I think edge rusher could still be played potentially. I've been a big Aziz Ojolari guy. I think of that sec of those edge rushers. I don't think Quiddy Payne from Michigan is going to be there. I think someone will jump on him because he is an absolute force of an athlete. But I think Ojolari is very fascinating because he's a guy that's got speed and motor. He's the things he can work on are things that can easily be fixed. I think in the NFL, adding about five to 10 more pounds, working on some technical things and being the fourth guy in this defensive end rotation to start is not a bad way to go, especially considering tack McKinley's coming off some injuries. Javier Clowney, we know has had some injury issues. Maybe you have him as insurance because you never know how 2021 is going to go when it comes to those guys either staying healthy or any of them coming back in 2022. Yeah. So the story that we're referring to uh, that, that Dan wrote, um, we're all taking a crack at that, you know, how the Browns can win the draft. I'm writing mine tonight after we log off here. And as, in preparing for that story, I had to backtrack where I was at with this pick 26 going back to the night the Browns lost to the Chiefs. And I wrote a story about how, you know, it needs to be a linebacker. Uh, that started the, me hopping on the Zave train, if you will, that Doug was on, Dan was on for a little bit. But it's been fun to track my progress as I've shifted from this. So I hopped off the Zave train, and then for a little bit, I was with Tim where, okay, it could be Ojolari. That would make a lot of sense, okay? Then they added Jadavian Clowney. You, know, you take a step back, you reevaluate. Then briefly, I was on where the most of us are right now, this Greg Newsome top four or five corner type spot. Then I started thinking about how tough it is to play cornerback in this league. I'll probably write about this as I'm doing this exercise live and working on it, but to sum it up quickly, go look at Jeff Okuda's PFF grades and the year he had in Detroit. And that's not because Okuda can't play. It's just because of how tough this position truly is. And Detroit was a mess. I get it. But when you're sitting at a 42.5 overall being Okuda and a 30.9 coverage grade, you're only going to get so much leeway with in blaming the coaching staff there. So I say all that to come to this point. I think it would be best if the Browns traded out of the first round. And I still hope you guys click on my story what? and read it tomorrow. There you go. Look, Doug what? I was looking at my phone. I sat up. What? Yeah. Doug, Doug will read it tomorrow. Because I like where the, I like where this is going because I wanted to bring up trades next. So Ellis yeah. just drove us right down that road. I can keep going. So using the, Jeff Okuda as an example, and I I will dig up the data for you tomorrow in the story on on other corners and just the the unpredictability of the position and trusting a guy to be a key part of your Super Bowl run at corner probably isn't the healthiest way to land at why we're picking someone like this pick 26 needs to be viewed as Scott Pascal laid this out the other day that this pick needs to be viewed as someone that can contribute in 2022 and, and forward. I, I, I'm more interested in what the rookies from 2020 do in 2021 as we keep pushing this out. So to wrap up this trade back premise, and then we can talk about it even more. There's some Ozzy Newsome quotes floating around Twitter the past few days about, you know, what is the secret to your success and shocker. It's just getting as many dart throws at this as you can. They, the Ravens lead the NFL like league history in the most comp picks ever. It's like 80 something. They've got eight more than the second team. And that that's it. 
he's like, just trade back. Meanwhile, Dave Gettleman has never traded back in his tenure as a GM and you see where the New York giants are. So I, I, if the Browns were picking at number 10 and this was last year, I'd say, no, don't trade back. Go get your tackle. You need them. You got to plug them in. They're not in a position to need. They don't undoubtedly need to plug in somebody. And even if they did corner is not the spot where you're going to get that much of a guarantee anyway. And especially at 26, last thing, can't remember if Daniel Jeremiah said this on the call yesterday that Mary Kay is referring to, or if I heard him say it on something else I'm listening to, but he made a really good point about medicals this year. And after like the top 100, 150, somewhere in that range, maybe a little later, you're flying pretty blind. You're just flying blind with these medicals because of the strange year we've had. On top of that, all the opt-outs, the lack of tape, so on and so forth. Why not just pick up picks for 2022, maybe 2023, and just when stuff gets back to normal, the name of the game, the NFL is information. The more information you have, the better chance you make an accurate pick. This is going to be an unprecedented draft in the terms of the lack of information. For all those reasons, trade back. Sorry, guys. I don't think the Browns are picking on day one. They probably will, but in my world, they shouldn't. Well, Doug, Roger Goodell gets up to that stage by the lake. Says, we have a trade. The Browns have traded the number 26 pick for, I don't know, some pick in the second round, some picks next year. Y'all can go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) So... I think there's there's two different things here. Number and I, maybe we can have a cornerback discussion at some point. They need to add a cornerback on this team, don't they? Yeah. Like honestly, who's the third? If, if Troy Hill's a slot corner, I know when we when they got him, we thought, okay, well he's doing two things at once. But who's the next outside corner beyond Greedy and Denzel that isn't Troy Hill? I don't even who like Mary Kay. Who is it? I'm not trying to be stupid. I just am stupid. Who is it? Right now, they don't have that guy. And as we're as we're going through and talking about all of this, it almost seems to me like they also will be looking at trade possibilities, too. So not only will they be looking at drafting a cornerback or two, uh, because I still think you need to have I still think you need some more versatile cornerbacks in the event that you need to start Troy Hill on the outside. I think you still need another nickel and those kinds of things. So. You know, I think we should all be thinking trade too, just like Andrew Barry did with Ronnie Harrison last year. I just kind of have a feeling that there might be some veteran cornerback lurking out there uh, that they could also get their hands on. And that's not really what you're talking about, Ellis. You're not talking about trading 26 for a veteran. You're talking about trading back and getting extra picks, right? Yeah, Um, combining that with the idea, like like Mary Kay saying, I'd rather trust a middle-tier veteran than your number 26 pick rookie out at corner, combining those two. So I I know what you're saying. Uh, There was always sort of like a gut reaction to trading down in Cleveland that people, there were a lot of things that went wrong with trading down. And that's like a, a a naughty strategy in a lot of people's minds. And I'm, and I'm not like that. People need to be open to that. Smart teams do that all the time. I don't think the Browns are quite at, Hey, we're established. Like I love taking advantage of desperation. I I think they're a half step short of that because I do think this is a go time. This like, this is it. Like this is the year. And while you have to plan for the future and while you have to draft guys who are going to become starters in 22 and 23, when some of these guys get more expensive, I also think about like what Antoine Winfield did for the bucks last year. And what people thought Grant Delpit was going to do for the Browns last year. 
And I feel like that is still a move. A guy at 26, if you're going to make an argument and do research and say, hey, rookie corners don't do much. Uh, okay, I'll buy that. Then maybe get a veteran corner. But I feel like the 26th best player in this draft can help the Browns win the Super Bowl. And I'm all for accumulating picks and getting more throws at the dartboard. But man, I just think somebody, whether it's Zayvon Collins, whether it's an edge rusher, like Tim said, whether it is one of the corners that fall. I mean, we have people in the chat saying, hey, you know, hedge even more on Delpit. Look for a safety, that TCU guy. I just think there's a guy at 26 that can help them right now. And they have to take advantage of that. And then once they have the Super Bowl ring, Ellis, eh, eh, be like Belichick, trade down six times a year. I'm here for it. <laughs> I just think that while they don't need it, and I'll be curious to see what your research says about rookie corners, they don't need. I feel I just think one more shot of talent at 26 could be a little bit of a jet propulsion for a Super Bowl team. One other point to make too about about the first round, and I understand what you're saying, Ellis, and it's it's very interesting and it's very very intriguing. And I've had some very interesting uh, thoughts running around my head about different things that could happen with this first round. Most of which I I'll probably end up keeping to myself because they're so far out there. But the thing about the first round that you want to do is you, you really want to hang on to that fifth year option if you possibly can, because it does make a difference in the grand scheme of roster building. It just really gives you some flexibility to hang on to a player and to not have to, to, to pay huge bucks to keep them beyond their fourth year. So from, from that standpoint, if they did move back some, you wouldn't want them in my opinion, to move out of the first round, you would at least like to hang on to the fifth year option. Yeah, no, that, 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 typical great point. Mary Kay point that, that we didn't think of. Ellis, you didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. Mary no, Kay thought a, of that. No, it's a great point. Yeah. It's a great yeah. point, Mary Kay. Thanks. Now, Ellis, what would you think if they traded up? How far up, how aggressive would you get to go in the opposite direction to get somebody like Caleb Farley or JC Horn? Like, how far would they have to drop? to trade up to get a guy like that. I don't think getting in front of pick tw 20 is worth it for any of those guys. Like it would get too expensive, right? It'd be right around that, you know, moving up, you know, if you, if you move up any more than five or six spots, it's, it's getting pretty expensive. And I really think those are the only two names that could even possibly be there. Like JC Horn's probably gone by then. Farley's really the only guy I see falling. And then once you get to, you know, Greg Newsome, Asante Samuel territory with the velocity of the position. And, and look, yeah, if you go from 26 to 31 for, I don't know why the chiefs would want to trade up, but you get my point to connect it to Mary Kay's. Uh, I, I just, I, I, the, the rationale of the player at 26 is a guy that should be put in a position to play serious minutes or tip a scale for a Super Bowl. Um, I, I just, I don't think that's how this front office is, is viewing it. You know, Andrew Barry, clearly has his foot his foot in the door of the future just as much as the present or he wouldn't have cut Sheldon Richardson what if the trade and I'll throw this out to everybody because it came up in the chat what if they traded for somebody like Stefan Gilmore yeah I'm all I'm all for established 
veterans. It, it is a, I think there's an inefficiency in that market. Uh, we hype this draft up for a lot of reasons. And at the end of the day, it is a lot easier to evaluate players once they're in the league because they're all playing the same talent level and you've been watching them for a lot longer. This draft has got a lot more luck than anyone wants to admit. If they trade for Gilmore before next Thursday, then I think I'd be a little more open to trade down, but on one condition. If you're packaging your sixth or seventh round pick in that deal to move up, because I think Ellis brought up a good point from the Jeremiah call talking about, you know, the limited amounts of medicals. If you're, they're not going to, I don't think they should make nine picks, but if you're going to make up, if you're going to make a bunch of picks, why not make it before the fifth round? Cause mm-hmm. I mean, you might, if you want to like some, throw some darts in the dartboard, don't waste them in the six, seven, take those picks, move them up. See if you can do what they did. In, I think it was 2013 or whatever, where they, traded a fifth or whatever future fourth or whatever because i think at 22 you're going to get a guy much more guys with those medicals which i think do matter which really do matter matter not just for farley but just for all these guys in general here's a question then since we're talking about this cornerback position and potentially bringing in a starter i just wanted to ask you guys with nine picks in this draft how many starters do you expect this team to actually get in this draft now we use the term starter loosely, right? You know, sometimes you start a game in nickel. And so Troy Hill is going to start that game. And then the next game, he's not because you're not, you're in base or whatever. So Troy Hill technically isn't a starter. So I guess contributor, like serious contributor is the way to put this out of nine picks, considering how complete this roster really is. How many starters does Andrew Barry need to get out of this draft or contributors? Does he need to get out of this draft for this season? For this say, season, for this oh, season, for this season, I would Tom say Murray says one in the chat. Go ahead, Mary Kay. Yeah, I, I mean, for for this season, really, one is about all you would really hope to get in terms of a 2021 starting lineup guy. Now, yes, as you mentioned, you know, you can get guys that, that'll come into the rotation and those kind of things. But if you were going to look at someone and the, of course, the only position that we really can look at and see that there is a need for a starter could possibly be that second cornerback. I would think that, that you would probably get one, maybe two, maybe two. I could see another linebacker, a starting linebacker coming out of this draft, not necessarily picked high, but even maybe somebody in the third round. I mean, you could, you know, there, there are opportunities there, right? I mean, we know there's not an opportunity at left tackle. We know there's not an opportunity at right tackle. At most spots, uh, they're they're filled. They're locked down pretty good. But we know that there is sort of an opening at second corner. There's sort of an opening at linebacker. One seems to be the consensus here in in the chat. Somebody said one starter and four contributors. Uh, But David says he would he would set the over under at one and a half, which is basically what I guess what we're kind of asking. I'd I'd set the over under at a half. I, you know, if you, if you look at, at this roster, like even if let's say Denzel Ward or excuse me, Greedy Williams doesn't start week one or isn't available first part of the season, like they're going to start Troy Hill and then play MJ Stewart or Doug's guy, Robert Jackson, you know, like it, like that, that's just, unless it's a, you know, a freakish type athlete, like they move up or something like that. But I'm just saying they stay at 26 or in, in my theory, move back there. There's just not a lot of, urgency to find a starter how many special team starters could they find that's a different question a team this uh set in the the starting 11 
have a feeling special teams quarterback Mike Prefer is licking his chops and studying these prospects because he's going to have his hands on more guys than he's probably used to. Yeah, I'm not I, worried about special teams starting. <laughs> I won't tell Pre if you said that. I, I really do think if you think about it, I would still put it at one. I think that pick at 26 could get you something like that. But then when you really think about it, you're interested. And I know you're not going to find this in the fourth round, but are the second and third round picks. Do you pick a guy who maybe can at least help replace Odell Beckham Jr. in a year or two? Can you draft someone who maybe can replace Wyatt Teller in a year or two? Can you draft someone who can help replace Jadavion Clowney in a year or two? And guys like that, they probably won't see the field like at all. I mean, if you draft a receiver, say they draft a receiver in the second round, what are you going to do with him? He's gonna, not going to do you're going to play him if he's good enough. And that but, is, that's the honest to God truth. But it's also player, it's the, it's the talent level of the player. It, it doesn't matter if he has to wait in line behind somebody. No, I know. It, but, but, but I mean, we're talking about, they just were signing for Rashard Higgins. We don't know where Rashard Higgins is going to play. Yeah. But you but, know what? But it, when Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, are really expensive, then you know if they're not both on this roster next year or in 2023, then you absolutely know where that guy's going to play. But in terms of like thinking about it as a starter this year, no way a second-round receiver is a starter on this team in 2021. But he might be a starter starting in 2022 and for the next five years. But he also might be the third receiver, and they might, you know, and then and if he's good enough, then they play three wides a lot. So I, I don't think we should get too locked into too much thinking about the future. I know that's a large part of this draft, but if you can find those nuggets, those guys that, that can, can really come in and contribute right away for you, they will do that. Number 26 could end up being a starter. The second round pick can end up being maybe the third receiver or something like that. So I wouldn't rule out uh, some of these guys coming in and making some noise. If you're drafting really well and they fall in love with a guy and that, that has a tendency to happen. Think about this too. Think about this, you guys, a lot of the key players on this team were brought onto this team by John Dorsey. Okay. You fall in love with your own draft picks when you are a regime. Now, Andrew Barry still loves a lot of the guys that he was involved with drafting when he was here with John Dorsey, he was here in 2018. A lot of people forget about that, but he was here that year. He was not here when they drafted greedy Williams. You know, I mean, you kind of have to like look at some of those things. So therefore he's probably not in love with greedy Williams, although they, you know, they like him, they hope he comes back, but if they fall in love with a, a cornerback in this draft in the first round, maybe even the second round, there's a good chance that that, that guy is going to start. So I think we have to think about those kind of things too. There are a lot of guys on, on this team in key spots where they just don't have that loyalty to them. I just, yeah. I, the difference to be the second round pick last year. So the first round pick last year, everybody knew was going to start from day one. And he did Jedrick Wills, the second round pick Grant Delpit, everybody thought was going to start. Then he got hurt, but he would have started. The yeah. third round pick is Jordan Elliott, who they didn't need to start when they had Larry Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson, nobody thought he was going to start. Right. But now in year two, Ogunjobi and Richardson are gone. And Jordan Elliott is part of the solution at defensive tackle. That's what they have to be doing. Once you get to like the third round. And I think maybe yes. even in the second round. So it's okay. Where do you draw the line? Is it one, one and a half, a half or whatever, but uh, there, there are key picks to be made. Jordan Elliott is the exact example 
of how you sustain winning because he's not needed the first year. He can gain some experience, but then you save money, you spend it elsewhere, and you rely on a third-round pick you hope who can help fill a gap. So that's there. You can see how this should work ideally, but Mary Kay makes a good point. I mean, they, you know, these are their dudes now. I, yeah, I want to say this, Ellis. I know you wanted to, I do want to say this about Jordan Elliott and, and maybe this is sort of a line. Jordan Elliott did play 350 snaps last year. And so that to me, no, f- that's not a, that's not a starter. That's a contributor. But that's a significant contributor. And he's one of the few guys on defense who played all 16 games. That guy mattered in year one. So if we're calling it contributor, Dan, to your point, then he absolutely was at least somewhat of a contributor as a third round. Or, player. He, or he played at that level. Go ahead, Ellis. Yeah, if we're talking contributor over under, I'd put it at like two or two and a half, but that's a completely different conversation. Um, I want to just keep in mind the impossible game we're playing here in terms of predicting this draft. We have no idea what the Browns draft board looks like. We can go off PFF for our own stuff all we want, but if they have a grade one or round one grade on Asante Samuel Jr., then they're going to take Asante Samuel Jr. in the first round at 26 and you know, it's not going to be about moving up, moving down. They're going to, you know, you get your guy. Jacob Phillips was a third round pick. That everyone's like, oh, wow, you're so far down PFF's board. It's like, well, time will tell if that was a good draft pick, but it really doesn't matter that where he was taken because he, he was identified by the Browns as a player worth a round three grade. So without knowing their board, it is in, impossible to say who is good value where. It's about the development of that player, which is why you lean towards finding contributors and not instant day one results and and production. I was going to say, I'm leaning more towards the day one starter, at least one, especially if it's that first round corner, I think probably you're drafting a first round corner in my mind to start, or at least that you hope will compete for the starting job day one. But I think when it comes to the other positions, I, I think three contributors is a good number to look at, but in particular, receiver, which I admit my favorite position. It's the one I love to talk about. You know, we talk about how deep this receiver room is. If And the idea that one of them could get a lot of snaps. I mean, if they draft Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, he's going to get a lot of snaps because he has a skill set that no one else in this receiving core has. Nico Collins from Michigan, same thing. Rondale Moore from Purdue, same thing. That, I think, is going to be the position where – playing time be more judged based upon who they get defensive tackle defensive end linebacker yeah they're going to rotate in and out safety they may sneak in in a backup situation offensive lineman will see you in 2022 maybe 2023 but i think most of the positions we're going to see some rotation guys going to get snaps probably early on but again it's i think it comes down to those perimeter positions corner and receiver where we might see the most contribution this year Okay, Hayden's got his hand up, and I know he was he was reacting to some of the stuff we were saying here as we were going. So, Hayden, go ahead. Uh, as soon as you get unmuted, fire away. I like one guy. I know we're on the topic of corner, 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 and yes, I see it. There's I don't see anybody behind Ward, Grady, or Troy Hill. But I, if you look at that defensive tackle spot that's left open because of Richardson being cut and Okunjobi leaving, you have Malik Jackson, you have Jordan Elliott, and you have Andrew Billings, who opted out last year. Malik Jackson has been a – Elliott was a rookie, and Billings at play last year. If Christian Barmore is there from Alabama, I wouldn't put it out of the Browns' way for them to take him because 
you know how Alabama is. Alabama produces defensive linemen like crazy. I mean, look, look at Washington's defensive line. It's got three of them starting. So that would be one, one guy I would also consider that's not a corner. It's, it's a great point and one we've all been thinking about and, and talking about, obviously because of what happened with Sheldon Richardson and what's left there at defensive tackle. Uh, but just in, in looking at, at Christian Barmore and studying it and talking about it a little bit, even talking to J- Daniel Jeremiah about it, and you guys can all weigh, on this, weigh in on this too, P- some people have him with a second round grade. And this is not a good defensive tackle class. And so I'm, and also defensive tackle is not necessarily a super premium position unless he has an exceptional skill set in terms of being able to rush the passer and Christian Barmore can get there, but you know, I, I just don't know. I don't know if, if he's necessarily the right fit, if they would go that way, but I, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I'll, I'll go as far as say I'd be shocked if they took Barmore at, at 26. I think it's a position they, they don't value. As you can see, they're just down to completely remake that D tackle room and in, in a starting sense. And you can say, yeah, Larry Ogunjobi deserved to walk or, you know, deserved to try and find a replacement. For what reason is Sheldon Richardson gone if we're talking on-field performance and valuing his production? It was a financial decision, meaning they were willing to cut the corner there and be like, well, yeah, you were one of the better D-tackles, but we, we don't need you. I think that tells you exactly what you need to know about the position. And then paying a of, of first-round guy – that type of money to play a position you don't value and you just cut an expensive option. I just don't think it adds up. That doesn't mean they won't take a D tackle. I think they do find one, but the high draft capital wouldn't make sense with how they've shown their thought of the position and how they handled the Sheldon Richardson contract. I think Barmore's inconsistency throughout the season is why he's not a, not a surefire first runner. The way he played in the playoff, especially against Ohio state, definitely, could put him in that category, but I don't know if that's likely for the Browns. I've had I had a seven mock where seven round mock, excuse me, where I gave them a fourth round defensive tackle, a guy that interests me, Bobby Brown out of Texas A&M's young guy, a guy that Texas A&M pretty much stole from Alabama on signing day. Young played his best football in 2020. He's explosive, and to me, it's that reminds me a little bit of Jordan Elliott, younger guy, explosive guy, maybe a guy you just develop late in that rotation stash, maybe. If, if they go there, that's that would be an ideal time to do it, kind of when you have other needs taken care of. Can I ease everyone's mind about the defensive tackle room too, by the way? I think Andrew Billings is going to really bring some to this team in a run defense standpoint, combining that with Jadavion Clowney. This team is going to look a lot different against the run up front. I think Malik Jackson still has something left in the tank. Uh, he's a guy that can play both inside and as a big end. I and is assuming health, I, I think he's just going to be steady and a, and a better version of what Adrian Claiborne provided on the outside. He'll do that on the interior. And then Jordan Elliott's tape really impresses me the way he bounces around. He's the uh, springiest of the three. He can get, he can move around in a phone booth really well for the cliche that you probably don't hear a lot for defensive tackles. He's, he's bouncy, uh, which tells me he's quick, short uh, space quickness and that intrigues me. So I think they got a vet who in Malik Jackson that you really trust. Andrew Billings is a guy we're, you know, we're not talking about him for a reason, but I'm encouraged by his tape from the Bengals in 2019. 
and then Elliot being the young upside that I really like what he brings in terms of his quickness that the other two don't have. And I really think that they are going to play Jadavian a fair amount on the inside. I really, I really something do. To, I think something to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to get their best four when they have four defensive linemen on the field. I think they're going to get their best four out there. So I think there are going to be times uh, when you've got Miles, Jadavian, Tack, and Malik out there. Yeah. You're going to have Malik and Jadavian on the inside together. And those guys can also move around. I mean, in that scenario, you might even, you know, you might have Malik on the outside. I mean, these guys are, are so versatile and it's going to be, you know, where is Waldo on the defensive line? Because you can put miles at both ends. You can put miles and Jadavian in the middle. I mean, they, you can move these guys around like chess pieces and create mismatches with the offensive linemen. So you will see an unsuspecting guard, a rookie guard starting his first game and having to try to hold off Miles Garrett. I mean, then that, that's going to happen a fair amount. We saw it last year. So I think that was another reason. It really wasn't just entirely, uh, you know, a financial decision, decision where Jadavian comes on board and Sheldon's got to go. It was also a schematic decision in that you kind of have, you're starting to have what you need inside without having to pay that $12 million. Last thing, Mary Kay was on this first to keep an eye on Sheldon Richardson and how this ends for him. I think it's fascinating. If he can go get anywhere near double-digit millions from someone else, that's how it's going to end. But if his market isn't that favorable to him and there's a chance him and the Browns work out, we already saw other guys take cheaper deals, you know, John Johnson to come to Cleveland because of what they're building. And Sheldon was a guy who's seen this transformation happen. So I bet there's a sentimental angle here where the Browns can get him to come back for cheap. Before we get to these questions, though, I just want to throw this at all you guys real quick. When the Browns go on the clock at 26 next week, should we absolutely positively 100% rule out linebacker? Or are we all going to regret? Are we all going to regret that like, oh, Zayvon Collins is really good or Jamin Davis actually looks really good in this defense? Daniel Jeremiah was saying how Zayvon Collins won't be there. He's looking like Anthony Barr of the Minnesota Vikings, which I agree with. And I just don't think they, they care about linebacker. John Johnson can play that position in a hybrid way. Then between Anthony Walker and Jacob Phillips, they're going to find one or two guys that can do it in a speed way. And and I think the other thing to, to think about when you ask that question, Dan, is that, you know, are you talking about linebacker in a, in a Jamin Davis kind of a way or linebacker in a Zayvon Collins kind of a way. And he's more of an edge rusher who would probably end up playing end uh, in this defense. So, you know, the guy might have a linebacker tag on him, but if they take that guy like a Collins, he really isn't necessarily going to be playing linebacker here. Yeah. I mean, like to me and and Doug, one second here to me, like if you're drafting a guy that's 260, 270 has shown in college, he can cover like crazy, but maybe also can put his hand in the dirt and play a little end. I don't know. That's interesting. Doug, go ahead. I mean, I, I, they've, we all agree. They don't value linebackers much. I just think if you, if you think there's a guy at 26 that could be like a starting linebacker for you and stay on the field most of the time for the next four years, next five years, I think that's good value. I know it's, you know, at 26, I think that you just lock down a position like that. I think it would make sense. I think a Patrick Queen, I think was 28 to the Ravens as a linebacker like that. And then you just, 
they've been moving so many guys in and out of linebacker, then you just kind of lock down a position for a while. I'm, I'm, I think they would be open to that. Not if a corner they love falls, not if an edge guy they love falls, right? Not if a guy at a more premium position they love is also there. But if they're kind of eh on the premium positions and they really think it's a good player, I am not shutting that down. But I also, when I get to my how they win the draft, I, I very likely might have them taking Baron Browning, the linebacker from Ohio State, in the second round. So I do think there's also some of these versatile linebackers that'll be there in later rounds. I just want to be cautious about making big sweeping judgments about things like whether they like linebackers or not, because we've seen one draft. Mm-hmm. Like we've, we've seen Andrew Barry have one draft and he took a linebacker in the third round, which is a pretty I, valuable pick. I think we can so assume I would, some I things. Wouldn't like mock a linebacker to the Browns at 26, but like, I don't think anything that happens should shock us because we just don't have a real long track record here. I think we can assume some things about how they value certain positions, Probably. but then you also have to leave the door open of like, we wouldn't normally take a linebacker in the first round, but this dude, right? I mean, there's all this dude is always a possibility. I think. The other thing is there are certain positions that we don't really know exactly how they have their positional board ranked yet because they didn't have to really go, you know, finding, the replacement yet for Odell and Jarvis, you know, we, they kind of had greedy and Denzel, you know, so we don't really know. I think it's going to take us a couple of years before we really kind of, you know, we could say, okay, this is exactly what their uh, positional board looks like. Cause I'm a little curious actually uh, how they have that stacked up. I would say, I would say no to linebackers as well with one exception, Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, He's, I, t- to me, he's a linebacker in only some sense. Think a smaller, shorter Isaiah Simmons. He's a linebacker in the sense that that's the position he plays the most, but he's more of a linebacker safety hybrid kind of player. The guy who can play some safety, he can cover, he can blitz, he can do everything. And he's the guy that if you draft, you have to, I don't say you have to create a position for him. You have to create a role for him. You have to create a set of things he you have to build the defense, his role in the defense around the things he does well and what he does well as a playmaker. So he's not not the traditional linebacker, but then again, Joe Woods is not doesn't seem like he's going for the traditional defense. He wants as much speed as possible. And someone mentioned maybe getting a Lamar Jackson stopper. I think Owusu Koromoa is just a, is, is a other is just a different guy on the defense who you can move around as kind of this interesting chess piece. That would be the only linebacker I would go for just because he's so untraditional and he does so many different things yeah I mean that's the thing about linebacker this team could play like nickel and dime 90% of the time